Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. My name is Tara Burnaby, and this is my life story. I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember. My parents are pastors, and so are their parents. I don't remember my life before Jesus per se, but I do know that during my life I've grown closer and further away from him, like waves coming in and going back out to sea. I was married at 21 and began my career soon after. My husband and I welcomed my sweet daughter when I was 23. We named her Adrielle, meaning in the flock of God. I was raising my daughter the best I knew how, bringing her to church and teaching her about Jesus. Being a mom and a wife and a teacher and a student in master's programs became difficult, though. I began depending on myself to do everything right. I was your typical overachiever. My perfectionism began to rear its ugly head in all areas of my life, and I wanted complete control. I felt like that was the only way I could be safe. Unfortunately, that meant I developed ungodly expectations of myself and began compulsively making lists of all the things I wasn't excelling at and needed to improve upon. I became deeply depressed and anxious. I'd go through spouts of giving my lists to the Lord and then taking them back when I thought I could handle my life again. What led to following Christ? God had been speaking to me about a lot of things in my life, and for whatever reason, I couldn't or wouldn't hear him clearly. Last year, my husband and I got separated for a short time, but we came to Compass for counseling. We got through one meeting and one set of homework assignments before May 24th, which was when God allowed me to see something that I wouldn't wish on any wife. My world shook and I cracked. Everything I thought that I knew about my marriage, I questioned because now I was no longer the wife I kept creating lists to try to become. I was the wife whose husband had cheated on her. I had seen it with my own eyes and it was awful. I don't remember how it happened, but I ended up face down on the grassy hill at Friendship Park with my best friend praying blessings over me. I don't remember how this happened either, but I ended up on the floor of my connection group leader's house. The women in my group laid hands on me, brushed hair and tears out of my face, prayed with me. I spent a lot of time on the floor last summer. I felt like God met me there every time. Fast forward to September, I went to court for mediation and came home divorced, which was a surprise to me. I didn't understand that it would be so quick, like ripping a Band-Aid off. It hurt. I was sobbing and sobbing, repeating, I'm going to break. On the drive home from the courthouse, I felt as though I was lower than any floor would allow me to lay. I had to make the conscious decision to throw myself into Jesus and let myself break. I had fallen to the floor so many times, but was grasping at anything possible for some semblance of control, and I did so much more damage that way. Once I broke, it was such a healing experience, and gently God spoke and continues to speak. He knows me. He has me. I'm in his hands. The good news is, when I break, he promises to catch all of the pieces. He has a plan for each one, and I trust him to make my brokenness beautiful. 
His word says that he does that, and he's showing me what my life has been like since. I didn't ever really understand the analogy of God being my husband until I didn't have one anymore. I've clung so closely to him, and he loves me so deeply. I'm in awe of his provision, protection, gentleness, intimacy, and pursuit of me during this time. God makes an awesome husband. My life isn't perfect. I don't have control. God is perfect, though, and he is in control. I'm honored to be his bride. I'm a better woman than I ever was, a better mom than I ever was, a better educator than I ever was, all because I broke. Praise the Lord, I broke. And with my face down on the floor, I cry out, Hallelujah, God is with me. I am his and he is mine. You know, it's, it's I, we have to look at... Um, the fact that we, we have these life stories and we don't know how they're going to go until, you know, we, we, we do talk to the people, but we don't know what it's going to be like. And then we plan the service out and we try to kind of engineer things. And, and then, you know, you have this life story and then, and then we have this video and I come up and, you know, and you just sit there sometimes and, and, and you just, and I just, I'm sitting over here listening to her share and I'm going, holy cow. Because there are, there is, and I told, I was talking to Tara after, and, um, in our green room, and I said, you know, there's people out here going to come to church, and they're going to hear me, and they're going to go, eh, you know, I don't know about that guy, but they're going to hear you, and they're going to connect with your story, and they're going to connect with your heart, and what amazes me is that here's a woman who can go through something like this that really would destroy and has destroyed so many women irreparably. They become bitter. They become angry. They close down. And that's not what you see when, when, you, when you see her. And, and you know, guys, we, we do this every single week because we want you to know that God really does change lives. The power of the gospel, the power of grace, the power of Jesus is not just something that we do because we've always done it. We do this because it's alive in the 21st century in 2017 like never before. I don't care what the media or the culture says. Are you with me on this? This is good stuff. This is powerful. Anyway, I just felt like uh, I just, you know, I didn't want to just shift gears into the next thing without just taking a moment and going, wow, this is powerful. And if you, we, we put a lot of our life stories on the, on, the, on the website, by the way, compasschurchaz.com. You should go there. We have all kinds of stuff. We have previous sermons. We have all kinds of stuff that, about our church, so you need to go there. So just by way of housekeeping, I'm Tim Jacobs, lead pastor here at Compass, one of the members of the preaching team. And did you appreciate Gabe's message last week? Was that awesome or what? Give him a hand. You know, it, it does, it's just awesome to know that we've got a team of people that can do great work here. And um, it's exciting for me. If you don't know, um, I, we, we have a team approach here. I, I do the bulk of the preaching. I do go once a month out to March Air Reserve Base, where I am a, a chaplain um, for in the Air Force Reserve. And so you as a wonderful church body have, have freed me to go once a month and to do that and to bless our, our airmen. And I'm telling you, last weekend was, was just one of those weekends. Um, the counselings that I had, uh, the people whose lives were, were broken, um, people that, people in uniform, um, men and women in uniform coming in just 
just bawling because of, of situations in their life. And I wish you could see, but I'm bound by, by strict confidentiality. I'm going, I wish I could tell your story so bad right now, but I can't. But anyway, um, so it's just amazing. But we're starting a new series today called Everyone Has Influence, and it's a series on leadership. Most people don't think of themselves as leaders, but the whole goal of this series is to help you see that you might be an ordinary person in the most unlikely of circumstances, but you can actually have a tremendous impact right where you are. That, that, and then we're going to profile all these people throughout Scripture in our series who were just kind of ordinary people that no one really expected anything from and in very unlikely places, but they did have tremendous influence right where they were. And so you might be in a place in your life where you're saying, you know, I'm nobody special. I'm not the boss. I don't, I don't supervise anybody. It doesn't matter what I do. My actions will not affect anyone just outside of my own little tiny circle. But I want to convince you through the scripture and what we do over the next few weeks that that's absolutely not true. So we got five characters in the Bible who, who could have thought the same thing but didn't. And so, I, so these just a preview where we know where you're, we're going between now and the next, uh, the next four weeks after this. Today is our, our, our title is called The Immigrant Prisoner Who Refused to Take Revenge. That's going to be the first one. And if you want to, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 37, um, you can turn there in your Bible and you can follow along where we're going to go. Next weekend is going to be called The Stepfather Who Stepped Up. Weekend after that is the fool's wife who stopped a slaughter. The one after that is the swimsuit model who rescued a nation. Um, that's in the Bible. Um, and uh, we won't have any pictures. There's no illustrated version of that story. But um, then the last one is the slave who saved the day. And so there's going to be our, our titles coming up. So you really want to commit yourself, you know, cut your vacations short, you know, change your flights or whatever else. No, I'm joking. But you really want to commit yourself to being here. And again, if you can't be here to check in with us online over the next bunch of weeks. But I want you to understand this principle right out of the gate. And that is this. Leadership is influence. If I give you a one word definition of leadership, it's not complicated. It's not sophisticated. So many people write books on leadership and think of leaders in a certain way. But leadership more than anything else is influence. If you were to, to, to define it one way, that's how you would do it. So when you cause someone to change the way they think about something or the way that they act, if your, your words or your, your actions, your character changes how someone thinks and behaves and how they see the world, that is influence and you are leading them. So it is not about title and position. There are many CEOs and, and directors and chair people who are occupying positions that think that people think are leadership positions, but who are in fact not leading. They're not doing anything. They're not influencing anybody. They're not inspiring anybody. They're not changing the way anyone thinks, at least in a positive way. So anyone can be a leader because anyone can have influence. Yes, even the stay-at-home mom. What is the great quote? The hand that rocks the cradle is what? The hand that rules the world. And wow, I wish more of you moms really took that to heart and understood the power that you have in your own home. Never ever sell yourself short. So this is an opportunity for you to grow in your own ability to lead and have influence right where you are. 
And to really get the most out of this series as we continue on, just so you know where we're headed, to really culminate everything, you are going to be invited to the Global Leadership Summit that we are hosting right here. It is a world-class leadership event that we're hosting here at Compass um, August 10th and 11th. It's a Thursday and a Friday, so start making plans now. Get to talk to your place of business, look at vacation days or work, you know, whatever days where you can get education. Maybe you have some of that going on at your work. Think about who you can invite to come and be a part of this. It's going to be a simulcast thing. You'll hear more information about it. We've already talked about it somewhat, but that's really going to be the culmination of this as we move forward with our series. So as you know, there's this nation called Israel, right? And if you were to break down the nation of Israel and go back to its beginnings, it really consists of 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes, in fact, carry on all throughout Scripture, even into the book of Revelation. And the, but the nation of Israel, as we know it today, would not exist. It would not have come into existence as it is. And the story would have been radically different and likely radically worse were it not for one guy who was an immigrant and a prisoner. Were it not for his influence, the nation of Israel would never have come into existence. And so the father of all these 12 tribes was a guy named Jacob. Jacob basically had two wives and two ladies that you would call concubines or, you know, just servant girls to the wives. And so what I've created for you to help you understand the background is um, what I call Jacob's dysfunctional family shrub. It's not a family tree, because it doesn't go like this. It goes like that, okay? It's more like a shrub. It's nice and wide and not very deep. And so you see, this is the, the family history. So you have one wife whose name was Leah, and the other's name was Rachel. He had six sons by Leah and two sons by Rachel. He also had two sons by Leah's servant, whose name was Bilhah. Not a great name to name your daughter. And the other two sons by Rachel's, uh, Rachel's servant, whose name was Zilpah. Again, not a fabulous name. So the point is, you thought you had a dysfunctional family. I mean, look at these people right here. And now there's all this family drama going on, right? So just to give you a taste of, of, of what's happening, um, for example, the Bible talks about Reuben, the firstborn, who had a little tryst with Bilhah, and it says his father heard about it. That's all it says was his father heard about it and did nothing. And there's this, this idea of deception, of shoving things under the rug, of manipulation, of shell games, of sleight of hand that has plagued this family. And it really began with the father, but it plagues the history of this family. And so these other events occur as well that are just bizarre things. And so what you have is you, I mean, you have totally like, you have reality TV happening right here in Genesis, right? I mean, you could call it keeping up with the Jacobs. Which is funny because my last name is Jacobs, so I got a kick out of that thought. <laughs> but the story really begins to center on one guy in particular, the 11th out of 12, not even the youngest, who's the almost youngest, but he did, so he, his name is Joseph. So he's kind of like a nobody in the family, except that he had great favor with his father because Rachel was the favorite out of the four. Because really there was two wives and Rachel was the favorite. This is why the multiple, like the multiple marriage thing, it's not a good idea. It just creates all kinds of craziness. And, uh, and, and Rachel, but Rachel was Jacob's favorite. And so therefore, Joseph being the firstborn of Rachel was Jacob's favorite son. In fact, he was so, favor so favored by Jacob that many of you know the story that Joseph was given this beautiful 
coat that was very, you know, had all this kind of bling and colors and whatever else. And it just, it made a statement. And the statement was, I am the best son of all. And so Joseph loved to wear this thing. He was a young man and full of, you know, bravado and everything else. And so he had all of this kind of stuff going on in his life. For example, he was a dreamer as well. And so he had no problem telling his brothers his dreams. And so he said one time he gathered all his brothers together and he said, hey guys, last night I had a dream. And you can imagine, they just hate this little punk, you know, with his stupid little coat. And he said, he said, hey, I had this dream. In this dream, I, I was, uh, we were all out in the field working and we were binding sheaves of grain. And my sheaf grew up really tall and yours gathered around and bowed down to it. Pretty good dream, huh? And they're like, shut up, man. We hate this kid, you know? He's a horrible guy in that regard. So he does, does things like this, and, and this goes on. And all of this culminates one day when Joseph's father sent him out to check on his brothers who were out working, and, and he wasn't out working. He was at home. You know, he's probably sitting there on the computer playing Minecraft or something. And, and the other guys are out working, right? They're doing the real work. And so, so dad says, hey, go check on the guys. And he gives them some food and goes out. And when he gets in, the brothers realize, hey, you know what? We're all out here. There's no one here. This is our chance. Let's kill him. And they have this big debate. They said, no, let's not kill him. That's a bad thing. But let's, let's, let's make our father think he's been killed. Again, deception, right, runs through the family. Let's make him think he was killed by wild animals. We'll grab his nice little funky coat and we'll dip it in blood. And we'll say, look what happened to our brother. And meanwhile, we'll sell him to this tribe of Ishmaelites who can carry him on to Egypt. We'll make some cash in the process. We'll solve our problem. So that's what they do. Next thing you know, um, and you know, that Joseph is gone. He's like out of the picture. And you would think that Joseph's life would be over at this point. He is a slave and now an immigrant coming into a foreign country, does not know the language, does not know the culture, has no idea what he's doing, has no power, has no resources, more than anything else, has no family. If you didn't have a family line, you were done. He's got nothing to offer except that he's just a young man who could be sold into slavery. And it would have been it for him were it not for what we read in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So the first thing you see is that he was a foreigner. He was an immigrant going into Egypt, and he was a slave. And you would think it all would be lost except for the fact that it says this. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph. Now, you might be in circumstances that are impossible, you might think, man, I got all of the cards stacked against me. I'm down three nothing in the series, right? I got no, there's no chance, right? But the Lord was with him. And when you feel like that, when you feel like, man, there's no way I'm going to get out of this mess, there's one X factor. There's one thing that can save you and maybe the only thing that you've got left, and that's the fact that God is with you that he comes in and he's writing the story. And you can't see the pieces on the chessboard being moved. You don't know what's going on. All you know is you feel like you're at the end of your rope, but God's writing the story. And guys, that's everything. That is everything. And so what happens? 
Joseph becomes so powerful and prominent in the service of this very powerful Egyptian. It's all fate, but it's not because God's orchestrating all this. He puts him in this high-powered, with this high-powered guy, and Joseph just continually produces well. And there's a theme we're going to get to on that, but he gets trusted with everything in this guy's household. Everything. To the point, so this guy can just, you know, Potiphar, the, the captain of the guard, he can just go out and play golf and do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to worry about anything. He's got his right-hand guy who's handling the whole thing. And everything is going along just wonderful until Joseph's first leadership test. And it happened on one hot, sultry evening in the desert. Joseph is minding his own business, and there's nobody around except for Potiphar's wife, who was a hottie. Because you can't marry a dude like that without being a hottie. Okay, so she sees Joseph, whom she thinks is a hottie as well, because the Bible says, it says in the Hebrew, he was a hottie. <laughs> no, it says he was handsome in appearance. So he's a good-looking dude, right? And so she cast her eyes on him, and she approaches him on this hot, sultry Egyptian evening, and she says, as the old song from The Cure, hey, let's go to bed. Except she doesn't actually say, let's go to bed. She, the literal phrase is, lie with me. And that, is, that phrase in the, in the literal Hebrew is so forward and so strong, it's basically profane. It basically says, right here, right now, let's do it. I mean, there's no like, hey, you want to go for a walk? Or how you doing? It's like, you know, what's your sign? It's nothing like that. She just leapfrogged over all those pleasantries and just said, let's go. Okay, that's what, that's what that phrase means. You just have to know that, okay? It's not gentle at all. And here's what happens. So here he is, the clutch moment of his life. And he says this, and it says this in the, in the scripture, in verse eight, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, that means, listen up, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. Duh. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I do that? So then it says, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. Just wouldn't do it. So we talk about leadership, and we talk about what it means at its core, at its essence. We have to confront ourselves with this one word that drives leadership that I would call the essential, the number one essential for true leadership. It is the greatest determining factor of your life when it comes to leadership, and that is this, integrity. Integrity. Your ability to be true, to speak truth, and to act truthfully is everything. You see, up to this point, you could accuse Joseph of being like this, you know, he's kind of arrogant, right? 
And I mean, he, but he's like most young guys. I know Gabe and I have talked. Gabe always loves, he has the best Seinfeld quotes of all. He's memorized like all the Seinfeld episodes. And, and so he's basically taught me this quote. He says, Tim, Seinfeld says, um, every man thinks of himself as a low-level superhero, right? And it's true, guys. Like every guy kind of thinks of himself as like, you know, I'm not, I'm maybe not a real super, but I'm, kind of, I'm almost a superhero. And so it's this arrogant thing. And it's like a lot of guys have, especially when they're young, right? Like I can do anything. And so Joseph, you could accuse Joseph of that. You could say he's got some of that. But you can't accuse him of anything else because the guy's just got sheer, clear integrity. And let me say this. If you can be trusted, there is no limit to how far your influence will go. If, you, if, if people just know that you are who you say, and I'm not talking about being perfect in, in, every, in every way. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying if, if you just do what you say you're gonna do, and you're somebody, when they look at you, they go, I know that that person's word is true. I know that I can trust them. I know that when I give them something, I know that if I entrust them with, with anything that I have, that, that they will be true to it. There is no limit to the amount of influence that you have. Wherever you are, wherever you are, it doesn't matter. The problem is people get that flipped upside down and they think if I can just get a position of power then my character doesn't matter. And there's been so many people who have had amazing positions of power and they fail in that and they lose everything. And they're forgotten and they, they have, they're, they're of no consequence to history. And so Joseph had integrity in this situation. So there's so many different directions that we could go right now, but we need to talk about this because we need to talk about the whole sexuality aspect of this. You see, it's probably safe to say that most of us have done things that we regret in this area of our lives, and it's okay. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. All of us are going, I got, I got stuff in the, you know, in the past and maybe even the not-so-distant past and uh, maybe, you know, like yesterday or whatever that, that you regret in your life. And so this is not something to make us feel guilty about things that we cannot change, but rather to say, how do we as people live in a world where it's probably harder than ever to have sexual purity in our lives? How do we live in a world where we can conquer that and we can actually move forward with integrity in this area? Because there's never been an easier time to sin sexually in all of history than now. You have a smartphone, you, you, can, you can hook up with a total stranger in 20 minutes. You can have, you can have a, an adulterous conversation in silence with your spouse in the next room. You can view pictures and images in the millions, watching anything and everything. And here's what's happening here. Here's this woman who is undoubtedly beautiful. And guys, she is ready to go. I mean, right here, right now. And don't forget, he's a slave. He is a victim. And what better way to stick it to the man than to say, you know what? This is my turn, dude. You, I'm a slave. I have no freedom. I, I, but I'm going to sleep with that dude's wife. I'm going to turn the tables on him. What, be what better way to do that if that's who you were? Right? He has every earthly reason to do this. But if you notice his logic, he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Sin against who? Not Potiphar. Not even against himself. Against God. And that right there is the ball game, guys. That right there is everything, I think. See, integrity is, here's the thing about integrity. The word integrity comes from the word integer. And what is an integer, math teachers? 
It's a whole number. Not a fraction. It's a whole number. So to have integrity means there's a wholeness about you. That there is nothing missing. You're not not fractioned out. There's not part of you that's good and part of you that's— There's there's something that is is consistent in your life, right? That's the, the, the meaning of the word. And Joseph had this awareness all throughout his life that God was with him. He just knew that God was always with him. And that drove his conscience. And the conscience is very, very important. And we do all kinds of things in our culture to stamp out the conscience. But the conscience, and again, I love these like, just understanding what things are, right? So the conscience is made up of two concepts. In the word conscience, you have con, which is the word with, and science, which means knowledge, right? So you have knowledge with. So a conscience is knowledge with God. And what it means is the reason that you have a conscience is so that when something happens in your life that you know isn't right, the reason you feel what you feel is because even though nobody else knows, you know and you know that God knows. And you know that God knows that you know that God knows. I think. But you get what I'm saying. And so when it comes to our sexuality, it's never anonymous. It's never not hurting anybody. It's never just, oh, who cares? It's just us. Joseph had this acute sense that God knows. And it's the same God who's the giver of these crazy dreams that he had. And the same God who was with him when he was in the pit, when he was in the bottom of his life. And the same God who had elevated him and protected him from being just picked off for no reason at all. He had no fundamental human rights. He could appeal to no one. There was no system of protection. And every single day with with 10 other brothers that wanted him dead, God had protected him. And he looks at her and it's like, after all that God has done for me, after all that God has done for me, I'm going to waste that on you? There's no way in hell that's going to happen. There is no way that is going to happen. And I think if we're going to be people who somehow survive that's just constant barrage of, of opportunity to be unfaithful to the rings that we wear and the commitments that we made. Every single day, there are people who make their living and set out to say, how can I drag you away from that? Forgetting the fact that Satan himself wants that, wants that to happen in your life as well, wants to ruin what God intended to be beautiful. The only way is we've got to develop this amazing awe and wonder and and respect for the God who made us and gave everything to us. And when we sin, we don't just sin against ourselves or these people. We sin against him. And we know he loves us and we know he forgives us. That's not the point. The point is, it's him. The same God that we sang about. We're never going to get anywhere when it comes to conquering sexual addictions and sexual sins until we first understand that our sexual problems are at their core spiritual problems. And why? Because if sex is God, then, then sex calls the shots. And we bend God's words to fit the God of sex. And that's what most people do. That's why they go, well, you know, I know the Bible says this, but it, I mean, come on. We, we have to really subject the words of the scripture underneath what we really want to do. See? But Joseph didn't do that. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. 
No, God calls the shots in here. God calls the shots, and I just, I'm not perfect, but I'm gonna just strive to live as though he does. And that's just being, I mean, by the way, he was ruthless. So the way the story goes, well, before I get there, I just really want to hit that because we've we got to have a framework, guys. We've got to have like a, a, a rubric. We've got to have some kind of system that helps us. Otherwise, we just go, why not, you know? And it's a great question. When you're, have, when you're having a conversation, it's just that you know you shouldn't, it's just starting to trail off into some, you're online and you just, you know you shouldn't be going that direction. You're flipping through the channels. You know you shouldn't be going that direction. And you realize you're starting going down a road. It's like, what, what, what do you, what, what's counters that? I think a great counter is to cement into the foundation of your spiritual life and your conviction the same question that Joseph asked. You know, how can I do this and sin against him? How can I do it? And I'm not talking about the past. You can't erase the past. You don't beat yourself up over the past. You get forgiveness and everything else. But I'm talking about from this day forward. You know? I'll just tell you, that's, that's you know, I, that's how I've, I've tried to remain unscathed throughout my life, you know? Because don't think that I don't have temptations and, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm just as much of a dude as anybody else, you know? And I know that, that I have accountability to, to, to the, our congregation and, and to you guys, the leaders, my family, of course. That's the most important thing. But it's got to be me and God, you know? And you, you've got you to have that. <laughs> you just got to have that. Anyway, um, yeah, this is going to have to be the greatest line of defense because the other safeguards are gone. You can't say, well, I'm just going to not be around it. Good luck, right? I'm just telling you. So here's the thing. The decision is made somewhere in the ancient world on this hot, sultry night that changed everything. Now, had he gone through with it, the consequences would have been disastrous. But when you have integrity, as I said before, there's no limit to what your influence can be. And you, by the way, you never know, by the way, you never know. See, we always talk about, okay, well, you sin. And again, I mean, believe me, we are huge on grace here. Don't get me wrong. But, but, but the thing is, when you actually avoid sin, you never know what you prevented from happening right? And you never know what you built in the process. When you, when you avoid it and you, when you choose to follow God and when you obey, it's not like fireworks go off. It's not like God comes out behind the curtain and says, this is a great job. Very good. Hey, angels, tell him what he wins, right? It's not like that. You make a decision where you honor God and it's like crickets. Nobody sees, nobody, because you're supposed to like be honest and not cheat on your taxes or cheat on your wife or do stupid things. You know, you're supposed to you never see what you prevent and you never see what you build right away. And neither did Joseph. In fact, you know, it, it went the opposite for him. And you have to remember that he comes from a dysfunctional family of both deceivers and con artists. And the scripture's trying to make the point that this stuff ends with him. See, and that's what's so amazing, you guys. His whole family was a, was a disaster. This is the family that God called, by the way. It's a disaster. And the only reason it was spared is because one guy said, you know what? This deception, this sleight of hand, this moving around, this, we're not doing that anymore. We're not doing that. It ends with me. And so here's a slave, a foreigner, an immigrant, who was put in this impossible position. But that's not the end of the story. You see Potiphar's wife, she's now the woman scorned, right? Now she's ticked because she's like, you know what? Dude, 
you, now you're going to pay because I wanted this and whatever. And so um, anyway, so he runs away from her. She grabs his coat, right? Probably a different coat because the other coat obviously was gone. So he has a different coat. And, he, and you know, and so, so and literally she like tears it off him. So he runs away naked, which is, just looks really bad. So now she's got, her, she's got the guy's coat, goes to her husband, says, he tried to rape me. And then next thing he knows, he's in jail. But it's very telling though why he's in jail and he's not dead. Because you think, why is he just killed? And the reason is probably because Potiphar probably knew his wife pretty well and probably knew Joseph pretty well. And he's like, and he got to save face. So he's like, well, I can't, I got to do something. So he's going to throw him in jail. Until he figures out the whole thing blows over or whatever else. And now here it is. He makes the right decision, ends up in prison. And by the way, he's in prison for a while because there's some things that go on for a while. And then, and then there's a couple of events. I don't have time to go into them all. But there's one, most, one of the most depressing passages of scripture where it says after two whole years had passed. He had been, he was supposed to get out. There was one guy who was going to give him a good word when he got out of prison and uh, he got out, but it says he forgot about him. And so you can imagine every day going, maybe today, maybe today, you know, the prison guards coming down the door, you know, with the little keys clanking. And it's like, I'm going to get out two whole years. He's stuck. He's stuck. And then one day, because of his ability to interpret dreams, he's able to help because there's a, a famine coming to the land. And Joseph is able to predict that this dream means there's a famine coming. And so he begins to tell the Egyptian leadership how to set aside and what, how to prepare for this famine. And once again, he's sprung from prison. It's an amazing story. I don't have time to get, to get uh, all of the details. But through the process of it, he gets basically reinstated to his position where now he's one of the top guys in the entire nation. And he gets so much, he, de- he develops so much wealth for the Egyptian people that they have never worried about food at all. They got so much storehouse of grain that now other nations and tribes and people are coming to beg for food because the famine hit. And of all the different tribes and individuals that come to, to beg for grain, guess who shows up to beg for food so they can survive? Joseph's brothers. So now he's got 10 guys because the younger brother wasn't a part of this, but the 10 guys come up and they're, and they're asking for food. Please help us, we're gonna die. Our, all, we have all our herds and our servants and everything out there in the land of Canaan and we're gonna die. And so they come before Joseph. And it's an amazing story because it's been all these years, right? So they don't recognize him. So they come up and they just think he's a ruler of the whole, you know, he's one of the governors. The Bible says he's a governor. He's in charge of all of the food and all of the, basically the economy. He is running the economy of Egypt. And so these 10 guys come up and they don't know it's him. And how would it? I mean, he's, he's been in Egypt for a long time, right? I mean, he... You know, so he's basically become an Egyptian. I, he talks like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. I had that one teed up, baby. <laughs> but this is what happens. But he recognizes them. And now the tables are turned. One of the most powerful men in the world holds all the cards. What would you do? Huh. right? It's go time, right? You just want to get, you want to let him have it. That's not what happens. After a long series of events that unfolds, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers who are shocked, who are shocked. This is the guy, what, are you kidding me? And one of the most moving passages in the Bible when his brothers are still afraid about revenge 
Remember that this is a family of deceivers and manipulators. They don't, they don't trust anybody because they're not trustworthy themselves. They don't trust anybody. They, they keep thinking, he's going to get us. He's going to get us. He's going to get us. He's waiting. He's waiting. And finally, and they're so afraid. They're like, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. We, we, please forgive us. Please forgive us. And Joseph finally like, guys, 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 stop. In verse 19 of chapter 15, one of the most moving passages of all of scripture, he says to them, do not fear. This is, oh guys, this is so good. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And there's that famous phrase, you meant it for evil and God meant it for good. And that, guys, if you, that, that could be such an amazingly healing passage for so many of you who have had horrible things done to you over time. If you can get to a place where you can say, of course, I would never, you know, w- w- wish this on my worst enemy. But there are people in life, yes, they intended to hurt you. They intended to, to defraud you, to rob you of your innocence, to take something from you, to deceive you, all these kinds of things. They may have meant it for evil. But if you can get to the place in your life where you see that God's the one moving the pieces on the chessboard, is it possible for you to get to the place where you can say, actually, God meant it for good? Because if, this wouldn't have, if, if this, these things wouldn't have happened, I never would have ended up here. That takes an unbelievable amount of maturity and faith to get to. And you may need to think about, you, you, don't, you don't have to buy that right away. But you need to think about that. You need to go home and you need to think about that. If you're bitter against God about where you are in life, if you're bitter against people for what they did to you, and they may still be out there not even wanting forgiveness, it doesn't matter. If you don't forgive them, they, they hold the, the sway over you, right? But again, part of leadership and part of influence is looking at yourself and your own life and you're saying, God, can I trace your hand through all of this? Even the hard times. I mean, there, there are things, I mean, I've, I've, on the whole, I've had a pretty decent life, you know? I mean, I've been, you know, I, I, I can't have, I don't have this story that would make you cry, per se. I mean, I could try to make you cry, but it, you'd be going, whatever, Jacobs, you're not that, you know, you've had a nice life. Um, I couldn't really impress you with things, but I, I could look at times that were, that were hurtful in my life and times that I was confused and I was like, God, I don't understand. Why did this happen? And as older I'm getting, I'm going, you know what? God, I see that if, if, you hadn't ca- if you hadn't caused me to, to go that direction or if this person hadn't come in, if these things hadn't happened that I thought at the time were terrible, I would never have ended up where I am and I'm really glad to be where I am. But God can take the things that others meant for evil and a total twist of fate turn them into ultimately good things. But don't miss the first part, which is equally as important. He says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? What's happening there? Once again, it's integrity. Am I in the place of God? Am I going to play God? If, God? if God wants you dead, he'll kill you. It's not my job. What an amazing amount of peace. See, Joseph had this lifelong understanding that God was in charge of his life. And that is another foundational statement that if you had as your part of your life, could be transformational. Am I in the place? Am I authorized to make decisions only he can make? And we have to put him in his place and leave him there. And not assume and assert our own authority over him. Because when all is said and done, here's the thing. When, when Joseph, because Joseph lived his life with integrity, when he was at the bottom of his life, in the most desperate situations, when he still trusted God, he had amazing and powerful influence when he was still a nobody. 
And he never could have known the influence, but because of the decisions that he made in clutch moments of his life, the entire nation of Israel was saved because all of his brothers bring their family there. They, they live in safety. They begin to multiply and they become this powerful, huge, gigantic amount of people that yes, later on become enslaved, but whom God frees and they become an entire nation. But they never would have had that opportunity to live in a place of safety and to be able to multiply, to be able to generate the numbers that God needed to be able to use further on and to be in that place had it not been for Joseph's obedience to him back then when he thought it was worth nothing. And maybe you think right now the decisions you make will not affect anybody and nobody cares and you could not be more wrong. Because I'll tell you this, in the same way our Savior Jesus Christ you see, here's the thing. If you miss the whole point, you miss the whole point of the story if you don't realize that Joseph was actually a precursor of Jesus. Think about this. He was a precursor of Jesus. He arrived rejected by his own brothers. Okay, rejected by his own brothers. Basically became a slave. But because of his obedience, was elevated and delivered those who enslaved him, delivered those who persecuted him, and took them to a place of safety, redeem them. Joseph is a precursor of Jesus. And why? Because through his obedience, just as the same way, the obedience of Jesus, the obedience of Christ to the will of the Father, were it not for his obedience, were it not for his lack of compromise, he never compromised, was it not for the, his integrity, we never would have had redemption. You think about that. So you know in a subtle way, when you live your life with integrity, you're modeling Jesus Christ. And guys, as Christians, we cannot be people. And I understand there's some people who are not Christians yet. You're checking this place out. That's great. But if you're a Christian, you can't sit there and have the little sticker on your car and wear the little Christian t-shirt and post little, little verses on your little Facebook feed or whatever else and, and live your life not whole. That doesn't add up, guys. It doesn't work. So influence begins. It begins right where you are. Right where you are. And it can be powerful. So maybe there's some of us need to start with where Joseph started. Maybe you got to believe that, you know what, there is a God who's never left you. You've been asleep on your bed at night, and you have no idea you're in la-la land, dreaming away, and he's keeping your heart pumping, and he's keeping air in your lungs, and he's sustained you, and he's protected you from all kinds of things. He is the giver of life. And you need to start there and say, you know what, God has always been with me. What does he want for me? What does God want from you? Nothing more than your heart. Nothing more than, than your devotion. Nothing more than your love. He wants you to recognize his great love for you, shown in so many beautiful ways through the person of Jesus Christ, ultimately, who died in your place so that you could walk free. So, the other thing that we can look at is to examine our own lives and say, you know, I, I mean, again, I mean, none of us are going to be perfect, but are you known as a person of integrity? Because if you don't, if you can't have integrity in the little things, you'll, you'll never have it in the big things. The war is won through a series of little battles that start off way when you're young, you know? And even if you're older, if this, is your, this isn't the time for you to open your eyes, say, you know what, God, I want to I obey you. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. Help me, to, help me to make those right choices in the little things so I can begin to live a life of wholeness. And who knows how that might reverberate throughout the generations of your family, your friends, 
history. You never know because the final page hasn't been written. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? If you're here today and, and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I just want to give you a chance to do that. We give you an opportunity every weekend here to just say right where you are, you know what, Lord? I need, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. My life has not been one of wholeness. I like to think of myself as a good person, but when I really start looking at the fine print, I'm not. I need to surrender my life to a Savior who will love me and gave everything for me. You see, there's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. There is always grace available. So if you're here tonight, too, and you're saying, you know what? i got to confess some stuff. i got to make some things right, not just with God. I mean, I need to confess in front of God and repent, but i gotta, I got to share some stuff. i got to get some people around me and say, listen, I want to be able to be someone who can be trusted. Because when I'm like that, I'm acting like my Savior. And I want people to know my Savior by what they see in me. That's leadership. That's leadership. There's grace upon grace upon grace. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info. And we'll see you next time.